we got a lot to be thankful for. Uh, and we got some conflict here. Okay. Mueller, what did you do back there? Actually, I know what happened. Um, yesterday, I don't think Pastor Bruzek had his mic turned on for the catechumenate, and the vicar was back there turning it up and probably never turned it back down. So, okay. We got a lot to be thankful for. All right, stand where you are. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll get started, okay? We'll wait for uh, Matt Strutzel. The hour change. Yeah, exactly. That's the other direction. He, he turned his clock the other way, yeah. All right, let's pray. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, you have safely brought us to the beginning of this day. Defend us in the same with your mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by your governance, may be righteous in your sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay. Um, grab a seat if you can find one. Um, all Saints Day, first of all, uh, thanks to Mueller and to the choir and to the brass and everybody else, it was otherworldly. I didn't. I was telling somebody before this, um, at the dismissal point after the Eucharist, before the post-communion canticle, I'm standing at the altar thinking, why isn't Jonathan playing? Because I was so caught up in the last hymn, and it was a little emotional, and you're thinking about all your dead relatives, and then I realized, because I was the next guy who was supposed to speak. (laughs) So um, I'm sorry, Mueller, I had all those bad thoughts. Uh, I should do it, yeah. So um, forgive me, but I just was caught up in everything. All Saints is a great day, and I'm always stunned by the, the great litany that we pray, that great prayer of the church. Um, you know, we should, somebody said we should only have All Saints Day one time a year because it's so emotional. I agree, although I would push for All Saints Day more often because I'm always reminded of what kind of relationship we have with dead, with dead folks who aren't really dead. They're living saints. So in the great litany, you know, gather your whole church in heaven and on earth. We're all one church. And Hear the prayers of your faithful in heaven and on earth. And even, this is, you know, every year I bring this up. I don't know why Jonathan didn't do it. It is my last All Saints Day here. Um, But ye watchers and ye holy ones, the best stanza is stanza two. See if you can see who this, see if you can figure out who this is talking about. Uh, Peter, you can't answer this, by the way. Where's Peter Savitsky? You can't answer. So just who is this? Don't say Jesus. (laughs) Oh, higher than the cherubim. More glorious than the seraphim, lead their praises. Lead their praises. Alleluia. Thou bearer of the eternal word, most gracious, magnify the Lord. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Who is that? Mary. Isn't that great? And, and for any you know, Lutherans in the room, um, I'm getting it all out today. No, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, here's the thing. When you get all bent by the saints, you know, we talk to the saints all the time. Um, and you remember the problem that, that Luther had with the saints was not to ask the saints to pray for you and not even to say that the saints do pray for you. The problem Luther had was going to a saint for something before you went to Jesus. There's a difference between saying to a saint, hey, you're good for this. Will you pray to Jesus about this? Um, there's a difference between that and saying, um, you know, St. Joseph, work out my home sale because Jesus isn't quite good enough for that. There's a very big difference. And our own confessions say that the saints are constantly praying for us. So um, we've got a woman coming in. Actually, my watch says it's 12.05 p.m. I don't know what's wrong with that. Going away present, new watch. Um, we've got a showing. We've got a showing in about, 
I don't know, 15 minutes. Maybe it's going on right now. So if you've got a special relationship with St. Joseph, throw one up uh, about this time. I did bury a St. Joseph statue in my front yard. I did. I did. Um, okay. In, in an effort to have one last swing at all this, I was, I was reminiscing as I was cleaning out my office about all the things that have happened over the past five or six years. Um, and one thing I was reminded, I was looking through CapCam folders and all the pre-designs when we had a Catholic priest as our design guy, and I was, it was amazing to see all of that, see how far we've come. But I was looking back at the home meeting schedules. Uh, where past, at that time, I think it was just Pastor Bruzek and I, where we went out to all the homes and we showed the video, and that's why I said we've got a lot to be thankful for. If you remember that video, Pastor Bruzek's first words were, well, we got a lot to be thankful for. And I saw that video, I think, about 113 times. So whenever I want to go after him, I just say, well, we got a lot to be thankful for. The one meeting he didn't go to, the one meeting the entire time, he called in sick, took a powder day, I went to by myself, and it was the one meeting where there was almost a fist fight in the room. No lie. And the fist fight was over. Somebody was there who's no longer a member who said, I can't believe you're going to spend all this money on vestments and the new church. And what's the example everybody uses when they want to tell you how extravagant your spending is? They say, the church in Africa doesn't do it like that. Bring up that first slide, okay? So, just hit, just hit PowerPoint slideshow. Now, this is a church in Africa. Now, what do you notice about this? Just take a second. I know it's going to take a second to sink in because nobody's ever thought about this before. What do you notice? This is an ordination of a bishop. Yeah, I said bishop. Bishop in Africa. And what do you notice about the guys around the room? All dressed up. They're wearing miters. They're wearing vestments. This guy right here, in fact, I know where he ordered that because I've looked at so many catalogs. That is not a cheap cope, okay? You also notice, yeah, they're outside, but what are they throwing down? Oriental rug. Go to another picture, John. Oh, look at that. So there they are. That probably right there is $25,000 worth of vestments. Keep going. Go to the next one. There they all are gathered together. Uh, and I think there's one or two more. Oh, this was great. Just because you think, well, maybe they wear nice vestments and then they all sit on the ground for church. That is uh, the new bishop's cathedra. You know what a cathedra is? That's, you know, you say the cathedral. Why is it called the cathedral? The bishop's chair is there. And that's why when you say the pope speaks ex cathedra, what does that mean? He speaks from his chair. This is the bishop's new chair. Uh, up close, you can see it's all uh, 100% red silk on the top and then on the seat portion, all hand-carved just for him. But Africans don't have church this way. One more, I think. Oh, no, that's the next thing. So uh, the point of, oh, and then guess what? This is the best part. What kind of African Christians are these? They are Lutherans. <laughs> guess who they're in fellowship with? Us. Isn't that great? So, um, you know, next time somebody says, well, the Africans don't do it like that, I'll send you this PowerPoint slideshow, and you can just say, actually, the Africans we're in fellowship with do it, you know, do it more than we do. Look at these pictures. So um, all of that's to say extravagance is good in the liturgy. Um, because here's the thing. If you all went to see the president, what would, what would you do? You'd dress up. Unless you're on the girls' lacrosse team, but that's a one-off, so we can't use it as an example. Okay, you'd get dressed up, right? I mean, even, did you see the Chicago Bears went to see the president? Even Mike Ditka wore a suit and tie. 
Okay, now that is stunning. The only time he does that is when he's on, you know, Fox NFL Sunday trying to make a buck. But, I mean, you see how these guys go to visit the president. They all get dressed up. It's a, it's a black tie affair. They wear bow ties. They do all these sorts of things. And then we come to church and say church should be the lowest common denominator, not the highest. So everything you can add to the liturgy is in the way of the gospel. You remember the gospel is always more, right? So um, I showed you these a couple weeks ago. Just flip through these. This is, I love this one. Bread and wine, body and blood, change you can believe in. That's good. Go to the next one. We're sorry, all the seats are in the smoking section. Now, I do want to pause there for just a second. You know, um, for all of the financial criticism about, about vestments, who got the most expensive thing in the new space? Jonathan Mueller. <coughs> Mueller. Mueller. Got the most expensive thing in the new building. Uh, it hadn't even been delivered yet, and nobody's yelling at him. Just think if we... This week, just think if we would have said, hey, we don't have our vestments from Rome yet, but they're coming. All of you would say you should you know, send them back. Mueller's got the most expensive thing in the new building. Now, I did fight in the early REC meetings to buy something else that was very extravagant for the new space. Um, it didn't go through. Uh, part, well, <laughs> it didn't go through for any number of reasons. Um, but I wanted to show you this. This is what we had initially sketched up. Why don't you show that video there? This is what we initially sketched up for the new space. Speaking of incense, oh yeah, let me get the sound ready. All right, well, um, if we can get that, if we can get that going, that'll be great because it'll really help prove the point. But um, if not, you'll really remember my last Bible study at St. John. Uh, okay, well, let me ask you this just to start. Do you have um, do you have any questions? I mean, we sort of rushed through it last time about incense, and we didn't even get all the way to the end. So I will go to the end. But do you have any questions? I was struck, I was watching a thing on TV with, um, it was sort of with young Christians. The whole thing was, what what are young people looking for in church? And it was hosted by a Catholic priest, but not everybody in the room was Catholic. It was so fascinating. They said, people your age, they're probably 20s, they're college-age kids. What do you want more of in church? Just tell us, what do you want more of? You know what the first response was? A young girl raised her hand, she's probably 22 years old, and says, I want more incense. And the priest starts laughing. He said, really? Are you just making that? She said, no, I want more incense. That's what I want in church. Which tells you something about where people are at. I just had a conversation this morning with um, Larry Lee, the altar assistant, who said, I can remember when I was a boy, we'd go to Catholic Mass, and everything was in Latin, and we didn't like any of it. We just kind of goofed around. And, but he said, you know, my kids, or people my kids' age, go to a place that has the Latin Mass, and what do they think? It's very cool. Why is it cool? Tell me more about that. Why? Exactly. There's a, there's a deep connection to history. Why else do people like Latin? It's got a lot of vowels. That's right. Oh, okay. Now, here you go. Now, this is... Pause it for one second. Oh, yes. Good. Now, this is what we try to get... I mean, the two... connection to the network. Okay, well, here's the thing. Sometime when, sometime when you all take a big yeah. bad pilgrimage, which I'm sure all of you will, in this church, you can see it sort of here. See this thing? There are like nine ropes here. You see that sensor right there? The sensor's about five feet tall. Wow. About five feet tall. 
And what they do is, in every mass, they swing the censer. And you've seen churches like this. Uh, so here's the church, like this. The altar is here. You know the transept. The big censer hangs right here. And it actually swings the whole length of the transept. Wow. wow. About a thousand feet. And that thing must be going 80 miles an hour. <laughs> because, it, because it weighs probably four or 500 pounds. So you have eight guys pull the sensor up, and then they start to swing it. And why do you think? Now, this is a pilgrimage site, and the, the feast for St. James is over the summer. So why do you think they would have such a big sensor in a cathedral like that? So it smells okay. Why? In the ancient world, people would be making their pilgrimage to the tomb of St. James, and what would happen? They've been out for eight or nine weeks, and it, they smell funky. Of course, they haven't taken a shower or a bath yet. So they come in, and the first thing that they would do is light this sensor, swing this sensor, and everybody in the room would suddenly smell a whole lot better. So one of the things incense is good for is to make you smell better. That's okay. It's not your fault. Where's the vicar? We can blame it on him. So um, all of that's to say there's something mysterious about incense. Now, I do want to answer the quick question about Latin. You don't know it. Um, if we didn't do things just because people didn't know it, um, what would we ever do with our kids when they're growing up coming to church? They don't know anything. Um, and so the church has always said, how do people learn to sing and to chant and to pray in various languages the same way kids learn to talk? How do kids learn to talk? They listen to somebody else do it, and then they try it themselves. I mean, someone like Emma can say a lot of words. Does she know what all those words mean? No, that doesn't mean we stop talking to her, right? So uh, there's something, there's something otherworldly, and there's sort of an interconnectedness between various generations when you sing in Latin. What I'm not saying is you ought to sing everything in Latin. Um, however, a little Latin here and there um, is better than none at all. Yes. You don't do something just because it's been done for a long time? Yeah. Yeah, you don't do things in the church just because they've been around for a long time. Although, if they've been around for a long time and they seem to have worked well, um, there's a little hint in that that maybe it's a good thing to go back to. So, I mean, part of it is you can become a pietist about these sorts of things. And Lutherans have at times. What do Lutherans still do on Reformation Day every once in a while? They sing what? They sing A Mighty Fortress in... German. They also sing, um, you ever go to Christmas Eve and they sing Silent Night, Stille Nacht in German? Yeah, that reveals a sense of piety toward your former language. But at times it can get kitschy, and when it gets kitschy, it doesn't have a place in the church. The point of all this is, and this is the point of showing you the African bishops as well, the point of all this is, you don't do anything else in life at the lowest common denominator. And everybody who, says, everybody who says, well, the church should be like our home or the church should, that, that's hogwash. Nobody ever does that. I don't go into your home and you say, we don't turn lights on and we don't have a TV and we don't have couches and we don't eat dinner and we don't do this because we don't need to do those things. How many of you have a TV in your home? Yeah, everybody. You don't need a TV, but you've got one, right? And there are bad things on TV. And just because bad things have been done on TV doesn't mean you stop watching. It's the same thing in the church. Just because, just because a church body has done bad things with various traditions um, and, and forms and rites doesn't mean you just stop doing them because somebody once did them poorly or for the wrong reasons. This is the whole purpose of the Reformation. The Reformation is not trying to take a church and destroy it and start it over. The Reformation is trying to take a church and reform it and make it better. 
And I would at least pose the question, since it is my last day here, last Sunday here, or last Bible study, has our job, in the, or has our, has our, in the past hundred years, has the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, made the church better or worse? It's a live question. It's a live question. Just look at the Missouri Synod today. Very good theology, very good president, but look at our worship practices. They're all over the map, right? There's no unity. You know the one thing about, that's nice about the Roman Catholic Church? You can walk into any Roman Catholic Church, and what's going to be the same? Mr. Kovic, I love you. But what's going to be the same? The liturgy. The liturgy. Now, can they do it poorly? Yeah. Can they have a praise band try to do it? Yeah. But the fact is, somebody in another country says, you're going to do this, and what happens? You can do it or you're out. In the Lutheran church, we say, do whatever you want, whatever makes the people happy. Any other questions? Yes. I've never thought about that. The question is, is, it, is Latin good because it's a dead language and therefore isn't open to interpretation? Well, I think, I mean, people can interpret any language, living or dead. Um, and I'll give you a great example. There's a, new, there's a new translation of the Mass coming out for the Roman Catholic Church that'll start Advent 1. Much of the language has changed because there's been somebody who's reinterpreted the Latin. So it can still happen. Um, this is why, you know, any translation of anything is never faithful to the original. I mean, the reason you read the Bible in the Greek, sometimes people say to me, why do you have to go to the seminary and learn Greek? Because I don't trust the guy who made the NIV. Yeah, it could be, although there's still, everybody can interpret it differently. So there's always going to be new, new things that will arise from that. I got a question from Mr. Wente. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. Part of, part of the reason there's this new translation, it's the same reason we got a new hymnal in the Lutheran Church, because there was so much variety in expression um, that you couldn't trust what you were getting on Sunday. And so this new translation is supposed to be more faithful to that. But we'll see if it actually works out. Here's the thing. Is Rome going to call up a local parish priest in Winfield and say, you ought to do this? It's not going to happen. I mean, the local parish priest, this is why authority in the church can be good but can also be deadly. The local parish priest is responsible to the bishop, who is responsible to the archbishop, who is responsible to the pope. But if that chain breaks down at any point, like you've got an in with the local bishop, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Well, you all ought to go home and Google up incense in Spain and Google up, write this down. I'll tell you what to Google up. You did. Give it, tell us what we ought to Google up later. So look up Santiago, Spain, and you can watch this whole video. It's about five minutes long. It's very interesting. Um, but you all can talk about that later. Anything else on Latin before we move on to incense? Yes. Right. That's actually very true. Yep. That, that is actually very true. It was a unifying language, and in, in many respects, it is, it is, um, it is, much, it is more beautiful. Um, but, you know, people, people have different ways to judge beauty. Some people think German is beautiful. I think German is horrendous. Um, I think French is beautiful. Some people hate French. I mean, it's kind of like, but you are right. In and of itself, it can be a very beautiful language. Okay, go to your handout, finally. Just look at the first page. I just want to give you this bit from the confessions here uh, in the next 20 minutes, and then we'll, then we'll kind of flip to the end. 
I'm always struck by this. You know, we ran the, we ran the bit as the welcome today from the Lutheran Confessions on the Invocation of Saints. And again, I just want to point out, remember, the invocation of saints is different than saying the saints pray for you. Invoking means what? You're calling upon them and not calling upon the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The saints praying for you is very different. And it all, it's all based upon the idea, it's not only biblical, but the idea that when saints die, they're not dead, but they are alive. Here's the thing. My grandparents who have died in the past 10 years are more alive today than I am. They're more alive right now at this very moment than I am. And so those saints in heaven do precisely what Jesus does. And what Jesus does is he prays for you. He blesses you. And the old notion that saints aren't sort of concerned with what goes on, I mean, you can't find that in Scripture. Read Revelation. The saints are underneath the altar, and they're praying for what? That the destruction of the earth will stop. That it'll stop. And it says their prayers are incense. Their prayers are incense. Okay? So from the Lutheran Confessions, Augsburg Confession 24, our churches are falsely accused of abolishing the Mass, which means we haven't abolished the Mass. And don't get bent by that language. That's the historic terminology for the divine service. Actually, the Mass is retained among us and is celebrated with the greatest reverence. And this is my point about talking about the Missouri Synod today. Is the Mass retained with greatest reverence today? Not at all. Not at all. Almost all the customary ceremonies are also retained, except that German hymns are interspersed here and there among parts sung in Latin. Interspersed means what? It's not the whole thing. These ceremonies are added for the instruction of the people. For ceremonies are needed especially in order that the unlearned may be taught. Accordingly, it does not appear that the Mass is observed with more devotion among our adversaries, the Roman Catholics, than among us. So I put the question to you, what does all that have to say about incense? Flip to your very last, second to last page. This is where we left off. I gave you incense in the Old Testament. I gave you incense in Revelation 8. And my last question to you was, Um, what do we do in the here and now? So back in the past tense, in the Old Testament, before the time of Jesus, and up through the time of Jesus, incense was used. So there's the Old Testament. There's the cross. And here is heaven. Incense was used in here. And as we know from Revelation, incense is used here. What about this? The live question. If it's been used in the history of the church, and we know it's used in the future of the church, in heaven, why don't we use it now? If we say we're biblical Christians, yes. Uh, I'm going to defer to the bishop. Okay, where's Nelson? Nelson will answer that in the coming weeks. No, The question was, why was there no incense at 8.30? Yeah. No. But but again, I I would. (laughs) But the side. But the other side of that. Who asked the question, Peter? The other side of that question is, too often we defer in the church to people who are offended by by something we do. How about the people who are offended that we don't do it? Which is a live question too. Yeah, we, 
Yeah, I just think part of, part of playing together in a community is to say, yeah, there are some things that offend you and there are some things that offend me. At some point, the church has to get to a place where they say, we're not offended because it's the church. You know, it's like growing up in a family. When your parents said, we're going to do this or we're not going to do this, you can say to your dad, I'm offended by that. You know what my dad would do? Take the belt off. Yeah, I mean, it's true. So part of it is, part of it is to say, I can remember one of the best things I ever heard was Pastor Bruzek, who said years ago when I first came, somebody was livid about a, about a processional crucifix. And so for a while they didn't use it. Well, they finally went back to it. Why? Because somebody came and said, well, I'm offended when we don't use it. I mean, there are some people present in the room who hate incense. There are some people present in the room who say, and I know this because I've talked to them, I'll go to a church that has incense. It's that important for people. And we can't just say it doesn't matter because the Bible says, use it. There's so many, we say we're a Bible-believing, Jesus-following kind of people. But then when push comes to shove, it's very hard to follow through sometimes. Okay? So, um, I've given you this on the second to last page. It's in prayer when joined with incense that two worlds collide into one reality. The world of the Old Testament and the world of the crucifixion come to the present tense. By the way, the vicar's sermon was great today. You know, when you, when you have deaths, all you think about are your memories, past tense. Jesus makes death and resurrection a present reality. That's very well said. wonder who wrote it for him. So, that was a joke. That was a joke. I forgot you were sitting right there. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, exactly. Somebody once said to me, Joe Holm was such a good preacher. <laughs> I said, yeah, I know he was a good preacher. I wrote the sermons. Yeah, go ahead. Do you have a question, Mr. Kovic? No, he did. Don't tell him. This is all between us, okay? Go ahead, Mr. Lee. Yep, exactly. Yep. I think the offense is that it, 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 it comes very near the kingdom to being too Roman Catholic. I think that's the, that's the overarching offense. And, and at some point, um, you have to remember that when I went face down at my ordination, I said, I'll uphold the confessions. And the confessions say, we retain all the rights of the Roman Catholic Mass. So at some point, we have to get beyond that. Because you can always say, that's too Roman Catholic, but then you're defined by what? Not what you love, but what, by what you don't love. My husband is a Roman Catholic, yeah. and he likes our services. So when he grew up, he comes here, and we're often in there. Well, I, yeah, I mean, this is, and this is the very interesting phenomenon today. Uh, if you go to local Catholic church, and I won't name any, but I can tell you within about five miles of here, if you go to any of them, it won't be as liturgical as this. You have to get down to Naperville before you get that liturgical. And, and in some sense, they don't, even, they don't even retain the rights of the Mass. And this is Dennis's point, which is very good, which is it's sort of every man for himself. But that's changing um, with this current, I think, with this current pope. Yes? <sighs> Uh, some dogs can't be taught new tricks. <laughs> Actually, I'll, I'll say this. He's a very, very good chanter. Um, but it's like anything else in life. If you don't learn to do it at the seminary and you go a career of 15 or 20 years and never do it, it's hard to get into it, right? And I think, back, I think you would admit when you went to the seminary, they didn't teach you that kind of stuff. I mean, even liturgy itself. Yeah, so, I mean, be thankful you have the liturgy, because in the 80s, they didn't teach it at the seminary. Um, so, 
The question is, from your outline, why use incense? And we do have to get through this because I'm not going to burden somebody else with it. Two reasons, one theological and one practical. Okay? So the theological reason is, I can just sum it up this way, doing what the Lord says. Just doing what the Lord says. I give it to you here. The Lord told us to use incense. He told us to use incense. He could have said, burn a Yankee candle at every service. But he didn't say to do it. He could have said, after my resurrection, don't ever use incense again. But he didn't do it. And in fact, the church in heaven is its a truer church than the church on earth. Okay? When we come to the Eucharist, it's not like heaven drops down to earth and they say, oh, wow, St. John's got a lot going on. Let's go join that church. No, no, no. At the Eucharist, our church is carried up into the heavenly church. They set the precedent, not us. So whatever happens in heaven ought to happen on earth. And he prescribed very specifically the use of incense. The Lord said, do this. But the question always comes up, didn't the Old Testament go away with Jesus? Not at all. In fact, this is one of the common misconceptions among people who are Protestants today. Well, the Old Testament is all those old laws. You can do whatever you want. That's not true. And you also can't pick and choose from the Old Testament what you like. Like, hey, the Ten Commandments are important, but the worship with incense isn't. So I've given it to you here. The Old Testament was not abolished. It was fulfilled. It was made better. Christ gave proper meaning and Christological content to the broad strokes of the Old Testament. He colored within the lines. So all the prophets said, hey, we got this guy coming, and they drew the figure on the outside, and Jesus came in and put flesh and bones on it. Whatever Christ did not formally condemn, don't do this, ought to be done with greater reverence now. And so I've given you the diagram up here. If incense was used before Christ and after Christ in heaven, why shouldn't we be using it now? So that's a live question that you all are going to have to answer in the coming weeks, months, and years. But I also think incense is very practical. And in some sense, the practicality of it all trumps even the theological benefit. The theological benefit is you're true to Jesus, and that's all what you want to do. That's what all of you want to do. But the practical benefit might almost be better than that. Smell, as you know, is one of the very last senses to go before you die. In fact, if you sort of Google this up, my guess is you'll get something that says it's probably smell and hearing, which is why if you ever go to somebody on their deathbed, what should you do? One, put oil on their forehead so they can smell their baptism. And what else should you do? Talk to them like they're a living human being. The worst thing you can do is get in a room, John Crow's on his deathbed, and I come in to see him, and yeah, he's like, yeah, thank you. And I say to Sandy, well, he really doesn't look that good. How much are you getting in the estate? Didn't I? Does he have a life insurance policy? Why shouldn't I say that? He can freaking hear me. <laughs> Don't do it. The worst thing you can do is talk about people when they're dying. Why? They can hear you. So when we go to see you on your deathbed, we'll always come to your bed. We'll come to your bedside, and we have prayers and stuff for everybody else in the room, but primarily the prayers are for you. And so I'll often get down by somebody's ear, and I'll speak the benediction right into their ear as I put oil on their forehead. Did I ever tell you a story about the, about the kid who was in the NICU near death? I didn't tell you this? Mueller, you just calm down back there, buddy. You got a pipe organ. I'll tell you this. I'm going to write you from Hotlanta and say, just calm down. You got a pipe organ. I'll tell you this quick story, and then I'll give you this last thing, and then we'll be on our way. Um, just the power of the living voice, or the power of the Viva Vox. We had a young couple who um, 
had been dating for a long time, and they would come to church occasionally. She was a member, he wasn't, and, uh, you know, they sort of talked about marriage, and lo and behold, what happens? They get pregnant, so they come and talk to us, and, you know, what do you think? And I kind of chuckled and said, well, what am, I, what am I supposed to do? I can't stop it. Um, it's a little backwards, but, you know, the Lord can square all this up. So um, they set plans for their wedding and did all the right stuff, and the woman, the young woman went into labor, and they call me from the hospital. He does frantic. It's not going well. She just gave birth, and he's in the NICU, and they don't think the baby's going to live. Okay? So I go to the NICU, and you know when you go to the NICU, what do you have to do? You've got to scrub up. You know, you've got to put scrubs on, and they're kind of, they're very reluctant to have people in there, unless, of course, you're parents or a pastor. So I went into the NICU at CDH, and my 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 thought was we're probably going to baptize this kid on the spot. Well, the mom was not having a good time up in labor and delivery, and they kind of said, can we wait, you know, maybe four or five hours before we have the baptism? I mean, the baby's going to live for four or five hours, but we don't know much longer. Okay. So I said, for now, I'll pray with this child. And the people kind of, even the nurses kind of looked at me like, it's a bait, you're going to pray with the baby? I said, well, yeah, I'm going to pray with the baby. So I got real close to the baby, and I read Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I anointed the baby with oil toward healing and toward baptism, and then I prayed directly into the child's ear. And, uh, you know, I said, okay, I'll be back in about four or five hours. Well, the, the husband calls me 20 minutes later and says, it's a miracle. I said, what happened? He said, the, ba- the problem was the baby's breathing was too fast. And basically the baby would just hyperventilate over and over and over again. And then that affects the cardiac stuff. And, and they said, the minute you walked out of the room... The baby's breathing settled down and everything is fine. And I said, well, let's just keep an eye on this. Let's just be, let's be, you know, let's be certain this is not just a fluke. Two or three hours later, the baby's back in the mom's room. No more NICU. We're going to go home in two days. Now, here's the thing. That isn't by chance. It happens because words do stuff and oil does stuff. Um, And so this is, all of this is to say, you know, these rites and the things we do at your bedside, they're not by chance. I mean, the the thing that, that really not upsets me, but makes me sad is when you go to people and you say, can I put oil on your forehead? And they say, no, I'm not Catholic. You're like, this is in the Bible. So there's a very practical reason to use this sort of thing. The very last thing, oil teaches, or incense teaches you that your prayers can, in fact, reach up to heaven. You see the smoke going up. If you ever say, I mean, people say all the time, I don't know if Jesus is listening to me. Watch the incense. He has to listen. It teaches you that your prayers are pleasing to God. The reason incense smells good is not just for you. Remember, it says all over the scriptures, God has a nose, and their prayers were pleasing in his sight. What does it mean? They smelled good. It teaches you that you're not alone in your struggles, and in fact, that the saints are there with you, praying for you and alongside of you. Incense is used in heaven. It teaches you that the Lord loves all of you, your entire person, eyes, ears, nose, and all my members, as Luther put it in the the catechism. He lets you smell stuff because he loves your body. And when we swing the incense, we're transported to a church that's much, much older than we are. The Old Testament church, the early church, the medieval church, the Reformation church, and every other liturgical church that ever existed. You're one with them when you smell the incense. And I would tell you this too. This is, this is sort of, you know, case in point. This is the most important thing. Incense teaches us that behind the smoke, Behind the smoke, what you can't see, lies a mystery that can never be fully comprehended in this life. There's a reason it's smoky. 
There's a reason that it's supposed to cover the man at the altar. There's a reason it's supposed to cloud the altar. Because what's behind the incense, you cannot comprehend that God loves you enough to give you his body and his blood. And that heaven actually, we worship in heaven. This morning, All Saints Day is case in point. All the saints are here. And all of that lies behind the mystery of the incense. And, and sort of, you know, this is the difference between a mystery and a secret. A secret, when you find it out, ceases to be a secret. Right? If you gossip or you've got a story about someone and you say, I've got a secret to tell, the minute it's out, it's not a secret anymore. A mystery, however, when you begin to figure it out, what happens to a mystery? It becomes more mysterious. And this is why St. Paul says there are various things in the church that are mysteries. God in you, he says, is a mystery. Marriage is a mystery. Guess how that's translated in the Latin for all of you who like it? Marriage is a sacrament. It's in St. Paul. I'm getting it all out. It's my last day. It's in St. Paul. And he also says that the Eucharist is a mystery. All these things, the more you consume them, the more you come in contact with them, the more mysterious they become. If you ever come to church and say, I've figured it all out, find another church. Because you can never figure it all out. And that's why you have incense, and that's why you have the liturgy, and that's why you have nice vestments, and that's why it's extravagant. Even the Africans know that. Okay? Let's pray. I love you. It's going to be great. And just remember, I mean, I will say this. I'm, I've told a couple people along the way, you know, I think, I think it's fair to say, no matter what's happened, Abby and I will dearly miss all of you. However, um, no, I don't mean however in that sense. I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> See, I don't get choked up very often, and then when you think I'm making a joke, it helps me get through it. Here's the thing. The, you know, the Eucharist is the great connector. Um, and I've said to a couple of you, I always, I always think about it at the altar, not just with dead relatives, but even with you know, people who are far, far off. You know, gather us together, we pray, from the ends of the earth. That's Atlanta. That's here. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.